you want to get a teenage girl mad, you do something like that and you watch them go off. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Witch Fix. And today I'll be looking at Through the Veil, which is Circle of Three, book nine. Circle of Three is a series, obviously I've reviewed quite a lot of them on here, but in case you needed a reminder, it's by Isabel Bird, except not really, because Isabel Bird is not a real person. Isabel Bird is a, a pen name. So the last review that I did of one of the books in the series was for The Five Paths, which was a sort of Cooper-centric story, and that was all about how... Cooper was being forbidden to wear her pentacle necklace at school. I really liked that one. I think I gave it the highest review on Goodreads that I've given to any in the series so far. Um, I liked how it dealt with some more of those real life pagan elements uh, to do with prejudice and fear that are faced by members of the community and also for the the way that it dealt with Kate's parents not liking her being involved in Wicca. I felt that that was a good thing to add into the story at that point. Uh, and it, it was really quite a nice balance between the three characters' points of view and their experiences. And it was a plot that I enjoyed probably the most out of all of the books since the first one so far. Maybe even more than the first one, because the first one is kind of more simplistic and childish seeming. Um, I guess because it's everything is just being introduced very slowly for people who've never heard of Wicca before. But I really liked The Five Paths and I felt that it was my favourite so far. Unfortunately... Um, through the Veil marked a return to the more fantasy heavy parts of the series uh, but the way that those were intermeshed with the reality portions were was kind of sloppy in my opinion and that led to me giving this one the lowest rating um, that I've given one of these books on Goodreads. Usually I rate them about a three, you know, I liked it but it was nothing special. This one got a one star and I don't really like doing star reviews on the podcast because I feel like they're quite reductive and I always try and write a review for um, books when I review them on Goodreads as well as giving a star rating because I think the stars are quite simplistic and it can be quite subjective and I know that when I get, sadly, sub one star reviews on my books and there's no comment whatsoever, I'm like, tell me, tell me what I did, because I want to be better and I want to get better. And I'm not saying that the author is necessarily going to see the comment, especially on books that were published in like 2001, like this one was. But it's nice because it's out there then and other people can read it and they'll be like, oh, OK, so this is why this person didn't like the book. But I actually really like that. So I will give the book a chance. Whereas if they just see a ton of one star reviews, they'll be like, oh, shit, this book's horrible. I'm not going to read it. Uh, and I think it just helps to, to be a bit more specific. So this book, Through the Veil, takes place around Samhain, um, which is Halloween in Wicca terms. Uh, and so it's focusing a lot more on the dark half of the year. Uh, a lot of things to do with death and crossing over and therefore it is well I went into it thinking okay so this is going to be pretty Annie centric because Annie has been coming to terms with her parents death in a fire um, over the last couple of books she's had a friend at the nursing home that died she's been making her peace with death and this book would be a lot about Annie and also because I think she's front and centre on the cover so I looked at it and I was like aha Annie. Annie is in this book. She is the main character. Unfortunately, it's one of those books where none of them really step up to be the main character. It feels like they're all kind of point of view characters, but it, no one is leading the charge. Whereas in the previous book, The Five Paths, it felt very much like Cooper's story with input from Annie and Kate in their sections. This one doesn't really feel like it's anyone's story and comes across a bit weaker. The storylines in this one are 
to do with Kate trying to get her parents to let her practice wicker again and, and see her friends. Cooper um, tries to bring some new witchy music that she's written to her band and they don't really like it and they don't really like the direction she's, she's taking them in. And so she kind of has to face the fact that her interest in Wicca has made her evolve beyond who she was uh, like seven months ago. Um, and so she doesn't really fit with them anymore. So she leaves the band and she meets uh, a new girl called Jane. Uh, Jane, we don't learn a lot about her except that she is a plus sized uh, Jewish girl who plays guitar and she busks and she lives with her grandfather who is a survivor of the Holocaust. So that's basically all we learn about Jane but she seems like a pretty cool character and I'm hoping to see more of her in future books just as we saw more of Sasha after the book that she was introduced in. Annie is turning 16 in this book and for her birthday she asks her aunt to take her to San Francisco which is where she lived with her parents before the fire so they go there to stay with some friends of her family's who are like neighbours who live up the street from where her house used to be before it burnt down and she goes there and she sees that the house has actually been rebuilt and renovated and that people are now living in it and she goes to speak to them. So from this point on there will be spoilers to do with specific plot elements. The thing that I didn't really like is that when Annie goes to speak to the people who live in her house she meets this girl who's just walking up the street who is the girl who lives there and she says oh hey yeah we remodeled this house because it burnt down. Why don't you come in and have a tour for no reason? Which is kind of weird especially because um she reveals that her dad is actually a, an author uh, a famous inverted quote marks author who writes bo a book series that Annie is reading which seems to be very similar to the Circle of Three series but written about uh, the fey world and fairies um so she knows that Annie is a fan because Annie reveals this and she just kind of invites her in to tour the house while her dad isn't home which seems way too trusting and way too plot convenient and I didn't really buy that and it kind of jerked me out of the plot because I was like hang on a minute I don't really believe that this would happen. During the tour this girl mentions that the house is haunted and that it's haunted by the spirits of the people who died in the fire which is pretty horrible for Annie to hear um, or I mean she doesn't really react like it is but it, I mean I think it would be quite horrible to hear like oh yeah this person is casually talking about how they love living in their haunted house because it's so spooky and unique and it's like your dead parents who are meant to be haunting it. I mean that just sounds horrifying. But later when she reveals to the girl and her dad that she thinks that the ghosts there are her parents they don't really stop talking about it in those terms of it being kind of kooky and weird and that kind of rubbed me up the wrong way and I felt like again Annie wasn't really having appropriate reactions to that. Annie has been feeling like her parents are angry with her and like they're kind of haunting her as well because she's heard their voices um, in Beecher Falls where she normally lives and again in the house and so she talks to the neighbour people that they're staying with and they know a witch guy who lives in San Francisco who comes over to do a ritual in the house which the people who live in the house are okay with and want to participate in to help her mom and dad to cross over and um, this guy is called Dixon he shows up dressed as the good witch Glinda which I'm not entirely sure why but okay Dixon we'll just accept the fact that you are very flamboyantly gay and here for some reason um but yeah, they, they do the ritual and it feels like it works. And then Annie just goes home and it feels like more could have happened there. Different things could have happened there. I feel like if she, 
she went to San Francisco and if she hadn't met this girl by coincidence and then that girl hadn't randomly invited her for a tour of the house for some reason, there would have been no reason for her to go to San Francisco. So it feels like the plot was predicated on this entirely unlikely thing happening and that's what annoyed me. So moving past that, um, the second half of the book is Annie kind of hanging out with Tyler in various occasions, Tyler being Kate's witch boyfriend who she isn't allowed to see. And unfortunately, Annie and Tyler get a little bit too close one evening and Annie kisses him. And then she spends quite a lot of time angsting over that. And that's an interesting element to introduce teen drama wise, because we haven't really had anything that would pull the girls apart because of like normal teen stuff. They've been pretty solid and all the sort of teen drama has come from outside sources like Kate's old friends. So I felt like that was an interesting thing to introduce introduce it to the plot and um, it's not resolved in this book but I feel like it will be maybe in the next book when it all comes to light so that was semi-interesting and then the ending of the book takes place at the coven Samhain ritual and Kate's therapist has sat down with Kate and her parents and talked to them and said look you need to go to this ritual with Kate and see what it's all about so you can learn about Wicca and Kate, if your parents do this for you and they still don't agree afterwards that you should be involved in Wicca, do you agree to shut up about it and never talk about it again? And I don't feel that that's how therapy should work. I feel like um, that was quite black and white. I feel like in, I mean, I'm not a therapist, but I feel like a more middle road solution would be parents do agree to maybe read some books about Wicca because sometimes just going to a ritual and seeing it without understanding it is just going to make things worse. Um, and then do you agree to sit down and talk with Kate about it from a more even playing field and we'll see how things go and not put this thing on it saying actually if this doesn't work game over Kate's out of chances she never gets to talk about Wicker again so again I didn't really agree with that and I didn't find that very realistic but anyway her parents go to the ritual Cooper has gone there as well with Jane introduces Jane to the group and I was sort of on board for the book ending there because there wasn't like a huge amount of it left and I just thought that thought I just sort of felt that maybe something should have happened with Annie's parents to do with the it actually being Samhain and I was just like oh okay well the book's gonna end and it'll just be one of those weird fillery books that the series kind of has like uh in the dreaming where it's just okay I mean not much changed in that book but I guess maybe in the next one we'll see some consequences from this Unfortunately, the actual Samhain ritual annoyed me quite a lot, not because of the ritual content, but because of how it was written. This is the first book that I had for the Kindle because they are just becoming exponentially expensive to buy in paperback. Um, so I don't know if this is a problem with the Kindle version, but I feel like it was mostly a problem with the writing because usually when the chapters change, point of view changes. So you'll have a very clear chapter heading and then it'll be very clear because it's written in third person, whether it's Annie, Kate or Cooper's perspective. But in terms of the Samhain ritual, it kept switching between Kate and Annie between paragraphs and it wasn't very clear who was who and who was talking and what they were doing. And because the ritual involved them all going down a corridor and choosing between two rooms and then going to the party, it was very confusing as to who was where and who was doing what and who was having what said to them and why. Um, I'll probably read that bit to you just so that you get an idea of what I mean. But it was really confusing. And because that is not how the book had been up until that point, 
I ended up having to reread passages quite a lot just to be like, wait a minute, who the fuck is talking? And why is this being said to Kate? And wait a minute, what was Kate's storyline again? And what's going on? So I found that really confusing and it kind of ruined that part of the book for me, like the ending part, because it was just harder to read and very confusing. And I felt like they should have been separated out into chapters. So Annie's chapter could have been about her going into the room in the ritual and what had happened to her there and her leaving at the end. And then Kate's chapter could have been what happened to Kate on her way and then her meeting up with her parents at the end. We actually don't have a scene with her parents at the end of the ritual where she talks to them about what they've seen and maybe why they now understand it a bit more. And her dad has been acting for this whole book as if she needs to be like deprogrammed because she's gone legit insane and joined a cult. So I feel like it's important to address that and have her actually have a conversation with them that isn't them shouting at her and her getting upset we don't really see them dealing with the ritual and finding out what they experienced in the ritual which I thought would have been quite interesting instead we cut straight from the girls meeting up at the end of that ritual at the party to Kate at Annie's house with Cooper saying oh yeah so I'm allowed to hang out with you guys again isn't that great and I was like I have whiplash from how quickly that happened and I don't really understand how it happened because we didn't see that. It felt very much like the ending of this book had been rushed, quite honestly. Like they had like the author had just gone like, oh, I don't really know where this is going. I don't really want to be writing this book. I want to be writing something else or a book further down the line that deals with some of this stuff that I've brought up. So I'm just going to like, oh, and they did a ritual at the end. And I hadn't felt like that before with books in the series. Um, they hadn't felt rushed. They'd always felt very much like everything was happening according to someone's timeline, and someone's plan. Um, even if the plots were quite simplistic, they had always been like planned out like and paced correctly so that they didn't feel rushed and they didn't feel too slow for the most part. So that was quite an unpleasant surprise. And then after the ritual, when they're all hanging out at Annie's house again, they decide to do a ritual for Annie and this is literally like the last six pages of the book I mean it's hard to tell pages because it's on a kindle but it was like in the last like teeny tiny bit of the percentiles of the book I think around like 97 percent um and they do this ritual and Annie essentially goes to a different plane almost where she's away from the girls and she sees her parents and they tell her that she wasn't responsible for the fire they lived in an old house with old wiring and she shouldn't blame herself and they've actually been watching over her all this time and all the, the other sort of stuff that you generally expect them to say in a book like this where it's all going to be very kind of comforting and peaceful and lovely and then her mum says something which I found very weird um a while ago in I think what the cards said Annie was given a painting her mum had done which showed a woman holding like a baby underneath the full moon and Annie thought it was so weird because she finds that painting just as she's discovering her connection to Hecate the moon goddess and she's sort of thinking wait how did my mum know to paint this when I was like four um, and what a weird coincidence and her mum says that one night she came into the room when Annie was like a little child and she saw a woman standing over her crib and that the woman turned to her and like spoke to her and said that I always knew you were special she answered her voice filled with emotion 
One night after we brought you home from the hospital, I woke up and saw a woman standing beside the crib in our room. She was looking down at you. She turned to me and smiled. She said, tell her to look for me in the moon. I will always be there waiting for her. Then she disappeared. I was waiting until you were older to tell you the story, but I painted that picture as a reminder of it. The face in the moon, that's her face. The series has kind of had these dips into pure fantasy, which I've never really liked that much, but they've always kind of happened in a way that if you wanted to, you could read them as just, this is just what the girl is experiencing. You know, uh, Annie isn't really meeting the Holly and the Oak King. She's just meeting people who are dressed up. And even though it's pretty heavily implied that they aren't, they are actually really the Holly and Oak King. If you were reading it in the sense that I am, you can just be like, nah, just people dressed up. I'm going to breeze past this. But this is quite uh, a very direct fantasy experience because Annie, on one level, believes that she's speaking to her parents who are dead. And yeah, she could have just been going into a meditation and believing that she's speaking to like her memory of them. And her rational brain is telling her, you know, your house had old wiring. It wasn't you playing with the Christmas lights that caused the fire. And I could buy that. But then her mum says, actually, I saw Hecate standing over your crib when you were a baby. And that's why I painted her face directly into this picture that's currently in your house. And I was like, whoa. That's too much fantasy for me. And the way that that has implications for the, the real world of the book is very stark because now we have to believe that Annie's mum, who's not a witch, had a direct experience with a goddess Hecate and has now come back from the dead in this sort of astral version of herself to tell Annie about it in front of the other two girls who it is revealed uh, I've just started reading the book after this, I have to confess. It is revealed that they can also see the ghosts. So it's not just a personal experience anymore. This is definitely something that's happening and it's real and it's something that Kate and Cooper can see as well. And I'm not entirely happy about that, to be honest, um, because this is meant to be a series that's about like Wiccans and not about, you know, fantasy witch stuff. And I feel like that's bringing too much of that into it. Putting that aside, I think... Because the book is called Through the Veil and because it takes place at Sawed and because it's clearly meant to feature Annie as being at the centre of everything, it's kind of inappropriate to leave the resolution of quite an important storyline which has been building since book one when we find out that Annie's parents are dead and that's why she lives with her aunt. So we're nine books in and in book five she kind of told the Oak King about what had caused the fire with her parents and here we are now four books later we're finally finding out that actually maybe she wasn't responsible this huge weight is being lifted off her this is basically Annie's entire plot line it's very important and it's been relegated to the last four percent of this book to have her actually speak to her parents like this was a separate scene that was just tacked on because the author realized that they hadn't covered it properly and it, it just really annoyed me and I felt kind of like oh well I don't really want to bother reading this because it just feels like such a throwaway edition. That's not to say that I don't find it kind of nice and lovely and I do think that it's a good way to resolve that storyline. Um, having Annie find out about um, her parents and maybe feel like she's not responsible anymore and talking to them in this way at Sawin, even the history behind the picture 
um, I think is quite nice. Um, maybe if the mum had just said like, oh, well, I came into your room one night and the moon was shining down on you through the, the window and I thought of like the old story of the man in the moon and I thought that the moon was there to protect you or just sort of a fanciful notion like that that isn't like directly related to the goddess then I would have been a lot better disposed towards what had happened but I just feel like the actual idea is good the execution of it is poor and some decisions were made there that I'm like no I'm not a fan but it's not a terrible book overall there are some good aspects to it there are some quite interesting parts uh, I specifically like the introduction of Jane as a character she's into um I think mysticism which fits into she says the mysticism of Judaism so it'll be interesting if she's like a recurring character to see what her practice is like and I like that they're introducing new practices it interests me as well to see Samhain um, as the ritual that they were doing although at this point the rituals that they do in this book with the actual like in inverted quote marks grown-up coven um, are a bit samey they usually involve kind of meeting someone who's dressed up to be a particular deity or aspect like death um, and then talking to them and having an experience in that way it's not really like the group get together and then celebrate in circle or do a spiral dance or the sort of stuff that you perhaps would expect from reading about the craft and like reading about other people's experiences in circle I mean I'm not a member of a coven but I feel like they're doing the same thing all the time and not very varying it that much which is at the very least quite boring to read it's also a little bit annoying that the whole drama with Kate's parents has been now like not completely cleared up because they still don't want her seeing Tyler but it's just been kind of pushed to one side I was kind of enjoying the drama of it all there was a point in this book where um Kate went into her bedroom and she'd got a, like a shoebox where she'd managed to keep her um, some of her ritual stuff and hidden it right at the back of the closet and she went to get it just to sort of look at her things and kind of cling to them in this difficult time that she's having and they weren't there they had been taken from her room and these are things that she has been bought as presents and bought with her own money and they've just been removed without speaking to her and I felt like oh if you want to get a teenage girl mad you do something like that and you watch them go off because it is unreasonable and also like she's gonna fly off the handle but she doesn't she doesn't really even confront them about it and I feel like she also doesn't confront them about their general behavior and what they did and the things they've said about her friends who are obviously people that really matter to her and I get that there's a time and a place for that because she's just been given back these privileges to go and see her friends and sort of socialize with them but at the same time her parents behavior was quite unreasonable and you don't really see them discussing that or them apologizing for it and I think it's important in teen fiction books especially to show that adults aren't always 100% right in everything that they do and that although in this case her parents had good intentions they wanted to make sure she wasn't doing anything dangerous or that would affect her negatively later in life that the way they went about it was really quite shockingly controlling and they should probably apologize for that behavior and I think them not being shown to do that is not a great portrayal because it kind of gives this idea that teenagers parents are just the law and they never have to apologize for anything that they do uh, even when what they've done is unreasonable and unfair. From another perspective, as a book that's aimed primarily at teenagers, um, teenage readers want to read about teenagers being right. 
is the thing. <laughs> um, and I say that as someone who has been a teenager reading books like this and who even now likes to read about that kind of thing when I get into that like teenage headspace. If you're writing a book about teenage girls, then teenage girls need to be the heroes of that book, essentially. They need to be the ones who are in the right. And if someone's reading it that way and they're thinking oh okay they've been so mean to her for two books I can't wait for them to go to that Samhain ritual and see that they've been totally wrong this whole time and to get owned and you don't really get that kind of catharsis from it because you don't get that scene at the end because that's been missed out. I'm going to read you a little bit from the end of the book sort of uh, at the start of the Samhain ritual everyone's meeting up in this old church where they're having the ritual um, just a quick comment on that because obviously Kate's parents are pretty strictly Christian and I don't really understand why she's invited them to a witch ritual that takes place in an old church I feel like that would be pretty hot button for them but they don't actually say anything about that but even so I was quite surprised anyway so um, it starts off with Kate thinking about going there with her costume on and then there's a three asterisk page break and it switches to Annie's perspective she's already there meeting everyone in their costumes that's fine you can definitely put a page break mid chapter and say oh, okay like this is where perspective is switched here are the three asterisks that mean perspective is switched and again I don't know if in the paperback version that continued throughout the scene but in my version it just didn't happen there weren't even any spaces it was just paragraph this is Annie and then paragraph wait a minute now we're Kate I'm confused so I'm going to read you the bit where that starts happening and see if you're perhaps just as confused as I was just to illustrate it also because I felt like there wasn't really a, a Wiccan scene or a Wiccan lesson really to draw from in this book so this is more of a writing lesson what are you supposed to be Annie asked him for a moment forgetting how nervous she was to be seeing him at all I'm Charon the boatman who rowed people across the river Styx after they died he answered he jingled a small black velvet bag tied around his waist these are the pennies that people put on the dead people's eyes so they could pay my fare. He's acting like nothing happened, Annie thought. Was it possible that Tyler really had thought the kiss meant nothing? Oddly enough, thinking that made Annie a little bit sad, but at least he wasn't acting weird around her. And what exactly are you? Sasha asked, looking at Annie's costume curiously. Oh, Annie said, I'm a banshee. You know, one of the Irish spirits who are supposedly come out on Samhain. She had coloured her hair silver with some temporary dye, and it hung around her shoulders in tangles. She was wearing a tattered old shawl over a plain grey dress, and she was carrying a stick that had a round paper lantern hanging from the end. The Banshees were supposed to wander around with lanterns, looking for their old homes, she explained. A moment later, Kate walked up, accompanied by her parents. Hi, guys, she said. She sounded nervous. I think you all know my parents. The rest of them nodded at Mr and Mrs Morgan, who stood awkwardly in their costumes. Kate wanted to give Tyler a kiss, but she didn't dare do it in front of her mother and father. Then she noticed Cooper looking around. Looking for someone, she asked. My friend Jane, Cooper answered. You know, the girl I was telling you about? She said she was coming. I think I see her over there. She waved and called out. So you can see there that we were in Annie's perspective Annie was talking about how she was dressed as a banshee then Kate's parents arrive with her and suddenly we're Kate feeling nervous um that's perhaps not so terrible I guess you could say that the arrival of Kate is a signal that we're now going into her perspective but as I said that's not really something that is done in the book so I wasn't expecting it and that's the sort of thing I think you have to do all the time or not do at all you can't just like do it once experimentally and confuse everybody 
The next one, incidentally, is book 10, and it's called Making the Saint. Um, all the titles so far in the series have been kind of craft references that I understood. So you had the very obvious ones at the beginning. So like, so mote it be, a merry meet. And you have things like Second Sight, uh, Beyond the Veil, Through the Veil. These are sort of easily relatable to Wiccan concepts. Making the Saint is one that boggles my mind and I've been trying to figure out where that's coming from and what that can possibly mean and I'm coming up empty so let me have some guesses if you want to get in touch our usual methods are okay so there's twitter which is at witchfix and there's email which is witchfixpodcast at gmail.com so let me know what you think making the saint could possibly mean and I'll see you in the next episode and then on into the episode about that book where we'll hopefully find out for certain what it means bye (laughs) 